0: Let the celebration begin. Come to Cabela's 4th of July sale and gear up for Independence Day. Get 50% off Cabela's American Flag Chairs 2-pack and 50% off a caravan 10-foot-by-10-foot shelter. Plus, get 40% off an Abu Garcia Cardinal Sapphire Spinning Combo and 10% off all in-stock canoes and kayaks. Don't miss Cabela's 4th of July sale, in-store and online at cabelas.com. Welcome to Real GM Radio, this is Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Christopher Reyna, he is the executive editor of Real GM, which makes him my boss, and the reason he's on is because he wrote a really interesting piece called the 2015 Year End NBA Team Portfolio Rankings, unsurprisingly, on Real GM, and I love the concept, and so basically he took the assets that a team has, players' picks, all that all that jazz, and rank them on that he took out some of the components we talked about in the intro like location and coach because he wanted it to be a more apples to apples comparison. I think that was a really good decision just to make to make it a different a different thought experiment if you want to call it that. and so we go through the list from 30 to one the pieces on real GM. I personally think it'd probably be better to give it a look first. But we go through it pretty cohesively, so I mean, if you if you want to just listen to it here the first time, that won't be, don't be terrible. And if you want to read the piece, the link is on is in the kind of the description for this, and also it is on Real GM, so it shouldn't be too hard to find. The conversation runs about fifty five minutes. I really enjoyed having him on, and I hope you enjoy it too. Well, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for for having me on. Uh, we've really been proud of what you've done with the show these last couple of years.
0: Well, thanks. Uh, so, what I thought, I thought what your piece was really interesting, and I think the best place to start is actually by explaining the rationale, because when you're doing a piece in terms of assets, how you are defining the, t- the terms and the quality is very important.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of ways you could, you could take a look at assets. You know, if you want to take a look at the players on the court, the future draft picks, and then you get into coaches, GMs, location of franchise, team history. So I wanted to look at every team in the league strictly on on the players on the court, their age, their cap situations, and then their draft pick situation. You know, do they have a lot of picks owed to teams? Do they have uh, picks incoming? All that factored into how I did the third team ranking.
0: And it makes sense to start at the bottom because I think the team at the bottom it helps explain how this system works, and that's the Brooklyn Nets. And the Nets combine having a lack of really strong players and having a lack of future assets.
1: Yeah, they do. I think that was uh, you know an easy place for me to start with the Nets that trade with the Boston back a few years ago, just really set the course of the franchise back. You know there were, there was a potential for them to become a, a playoff contender in each conference. They won a few series. You know the, what they gave up would be mortgaged to acquire Garnett and Pierce. Really, uh, I set them back during this period right now.
0: And it also, for me, illustrates the danger of pick swaps. So pick swaps can be useful, you know, but what's different about it is, in a way, you're making a bet against your trade partner because you you can kind of control your own outcome to a degree. But Boston, being as good as they've been, has actually made the pick swap worse. You can think about other ones that have happened, where like the Kings and the Sixers, where that's probably not going to be as big a deal.
1: Yeah, it's pick swap is you know one of the, actually almost more arrogant of a move to make than than giving away your pick, because you're assuming that you're going to be better than the team you're training with. We saw that back during uh, Isaiah Thomas's tenure with the Knicks when they did a pick swap with the Bulls, and that was the Noah, Wilson, Chandler swap of 2007.
0: And so that leads us into the team. You have a 29, and I actually was really surprised by it, but at the same time when I thought about it, it made a lot of sense, and that's Dallas. And so... The reason Dallas is low is partially that they don't have a lot of guys under team control for a long time.
1: Yeah, they it's an old roster. Uh Parsons could be a free agent this off season. They have the pick they owe to this Boston. I think they've exceed expectations this season and I and that's really been uh a great job that Carl, Carlisle has done this year. But, you know, with c- coaches, that's one thing we're not factoring in with this ranking.
0: And it it makes sense. I mean, especially when you're trying to make an apples to apples comparison, to not do that. I mean, that is a benefit they have, and there are people who will be, you know, who'll be mad seeing them that low. But they go, well, if you don't incorporate Rick Carlisle, it hurts it, and also just the guys that you know. If you think about who who is going to be a part of the next great Mavs team, and you can say it definitively, the answer is we don't really know. I mean, they're doing well this year, and that's wonderful. But Dirk is getting older. Parsons is a free agent. Zaza Pachulia is a free agent. They have Wes Matthews for a while, and that's looking like it'll be a better contract because he's looking healthy. But if Wes Matthews and Anderson are your probably your two best assets moving forward, that's just not strong right now.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know Mark Cuban's turned over the roster basically every offseason since he won the the finals, and uh, his strategy has been more about short term fixes for agency and not, not a long-term plan. I think he's been on record saying he has no interest in protracted rebuild.
0: And I, and I understand that. And to a point, I think that there were certain pitfalls that they avoided by, let's say, not re-signing Tyson Chandler. I mean, right now, I think if the Suns could get out of that contract, I think they'd probably be happy to.
1: Yeah, they probably made a mistake in 2011 not re-signing him, and then 2015 they made the right call letting let him walk to Phoenix.
0: So at, at 28, you have the Lakers. I would personally have them a little bit higher just because while they have the outstanding obligations, which are distinctly not great, they have a series of lottery tickets. And so I think the question that we're going to get into now, I think the, t- the, the bottom two are kind of separate, is the idea of kind of evaluating a single asset versus a collection of inferior assets.
1: Yeah, and the Lakers are a team that if we factored in team location franchise history would be considerably higher just right off the top and then um it's just for them they're they're making on that pick being kept this year and i think if they do then you know they would uh they'd probably be in the teams with you know, ben simmons or or scow coming in this year but um you know i think randall and d'angelo russell are, are good pieces but we've really yet to see what they're capable of on with work for this minute so i think they're still uh Kind of they're so far away from being competitive that they're lower than uh, some of the teams in the in the mid to high twenties.
0: And it also, it is different when you have a little bit bleaker of a present and you have those outstanding pick obligations because it means that you're not going to reap those rewards necessarily. With the Lakers, it's a little bit more nebulous than it is for other teams. But that is something to consider: is that you know, in the worst case scenarios in terms of success on the court, you don't get everything that you want.
1: Yeah, you, you really don't, and they've. uh you know they've catered to Kobe to share for better or worse.
0: One of the one of the interesting ones you put them back to back, and I think it's really an articulation of the difference between a single asset and a combination is Charlotte versus Portland. They're both teams that have I would say have outperformed expectations this year, but have a little bit different long term futures because Charlotte has more kind of. Maybe a step or two down, like starter rotation player guys. Whereas Portland has Damian Lillard and some some interesting players, but that probably aren't as strong.
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, both teams. I have you know really solid head coaches. Steve Clifford's done a great job this year with Charlotte. With both both teams, I think it's more in terms of having a foundational piece. I think mean, Damian Lillard's much closer to that kind of player than anyone on Charlotte's roster. These are teams that are are good right now. You know Portland's not a playoff team, but they should, they could be within the next couple of years. They have some really talented players. A couple, Willard. With the direction the NBA is going, but they're not, they're not teams that you know you would you would say are going to be contending for a title unless something drastic happens.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to put it. And and they're they're at a point where they have guys that are that are nice to have, and I think that the contracts will look better with time. But you need to add a lot around them to be truly relevant, you know, to be that good, and that's that's a hard thing to do for anybody. So you know, you're making you're kind of making a bet that you can add a a, a secondary piece in Portland's case and a, and a primary piece in Charlotte's case, which is probably the riskier bet. I actually, so Memphis is a team that when I saw that you were doing this, that I actually would have had probably a little bit lower, which is shocking considering they're still they're still the sixth seed in in the West. But the reason for that is just like Dallas you don't really know where this team is going with the guys they have on roster.
1: Yeah, you really don't. I mean, I think the, the season, you kind of took it for granted that Mike Conley would resign. And the probability is still high, but a little bit lower than it was. The roster around Casal and and Conley seems to have aged really quickly overnight, and they just don't have that extra kind of boost to contend with, you know, with the top four or five in the West at this point.
0: And also Conley's getting to the point, he's a smaller guard where those guys can fall off. And so you if you're Memphis, you're a little bit worried. Obviously, if you lose Conley, then you're going to be worse because they, they can't find an effective replacement, especially with their existing obligations. That if you commit to a Gasol-Conley kind of foundation, that those guys the expectation would be that they'll be worse every year than they are right now and that's terrifying if you're committing you know let's say 40 million combined to the two of them
1: yeah and as they you know age and get worse than where they are now they also have picks that they owe to the Celtics and to the Nuggets
0: yeah, from trades, you know, it's kind of one of those things where they didn't, they weren't huge trades. You know, they got Jeff Green in one of them, and I can't even really remember off the top of my head what the Nuggets, where the Nuggets' obligation came from. Um, is that the one from the Cavs? Is that is that the that one that bounced around a couple times?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that was not originally from them. I think that that's a pick that has bounced around.
0: Yeah, and so so with Memphis, yeah, it's another one of those teams that they don't necessarily yield all all of the benefits from it. And they actually tie in really well with the Hawks. And the Hawks are another team that people would probably think of a little bit more highly. And the reason for them is the lack of guys under team control. Like Al Horford comes back, they rocket up this list.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, they were so good last year, so contender this year. You know, as we wrote in the piece, Horford's free agent this year, and then they have 11 guys who will be free agents in 2017. So, uh, you know, really good roster now, maybe not quite, a true title contender, but uh, a team that's going to be in flux the next couple of years.
0: Uh, they're pretty square on draft picks now, from what I recall. But they, you know, they as as you mentioned in it, they had the opportunity to get a lot better, to use that to even just to shore up their depth and add some team controlled pieces for a long time. And largely, they struck out on those.
1: Yeah, they were the kind of the Celtics before the Celtics. You know, with those picks with the Joe Johnson trade. But, um, you know, they used one to get heart to my Junior you know, this last draft, and that's been a complete disaster for them.
0: The next two are maybe the two, the two best examples of single asset and really not a whole lot else, but the single assets are awesome, and that's Sacramento Kings with DeMarcus Cousins and the New York Knicks with Christoph Sporzingas.
1: Yeah, I mean, DeMarcus Cousins pretty clearly is a top 10, top 15 player. The Philadelphia trade in particular for, for the Kings has really, really set them back in terms of, of options available to them. You know, they could have used those picks for a more meaningful improvement, you know, or, or they if they would have wanted to uh, kind of trade the Marcus Cousins and do a f- full rebuild, that option's really – and I guess it's still available to them, but it's not nearly as attractive as it would have been if they would have been able to keep their picks.
0: And also, one of the big disparities between these two teams is that while DeMarcus Cousins is a better player than Porzingis and probably will be for a few more years, Porzingis is cheaper and under team control for longer, meaning that you know they're only getting two and a half more years of Cousins. The Knicks will have Porzingis for, we don't know the next CBA, but let's assume they'll have him for another seven and a half, eight and a half years. So I think that makes him, that makes the difference between them as players. And I think that right now, I think Porzingis is the better aggregate asset as of this moment.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, you know, Cousins is the better player by a clear margin at this point. But I mean, there's so many ways you could build around Porzingis with the team control and just the way he he functions as a mm. as a player.
0: And while Mello is a complicated player in terms of this because he has a no trade cause and he's paid a lot of money, he is probably a better use of, of investment than some of the stuff that the Kings have done recently. Like, I would rather have Mello than Costa Cufos and Bellinelli, I would think.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, is having, having a good season, and you know, they're kind of on the fringes of the, the playoff chase, but uh, I think he's a player that, that would be fairly easy for the Knicks to trade.
0: Yeah, I mean, if he would be willing to waive his no trade, which is, of course, a big issue. But even then, you know, his contract is going to look, as long as he can stay reasonably healthy and not age at a, you know, not fall off the table, it'll look better as you see what some guys are going to get this upcoming summer. And Denver's another team that did something to kind of mitigate that. They did the renegotiate and extend with Danilo Gallinari and Wilson Chandler. Of course, Chandler's missed most this year. But those guys aren't really the headliners for them.
1: Yeah, they don't have that, that foundational piece the way, you know, the Keen have Cousins or Knicks potentially are this. You know, uh, there's still, I think, a lot of optimism of the kind of player Emmanuel Moude will become, but he still has a long way to go. And then beyond him, you have a lot of really good, good role players, a lot of Fortune starters on a, on a title contender. So there's a lot of, a lot of things that the Nuggets could do to get better. And they also have quite a few incoming picks.
0: Yeah, and also, like, Nurkic, I think, is a a really fascinating piece for them because I think he can get a lot better. He had a nice rookie year. He's just coming back from injury. And also, they're a team that I would say benefits from the structure of this, from what's being included and not included, not as a dig on Mike Malone. I think he's doing a nice job, but just because the Knicks have the benefit that their cap space is theoretically worth more than the Nuggets, but since team location is not considered, that's a benefit that they're not getting in this calculation, let's say.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Toronto is one that, when when I saw that you were doing this, they were one that I really struggled with because they're in a a boat kind of similar to the Hawks where they have a couple guys that they have for a little bit longer term. But the reason that they're good, probably the most prominent one, is Kyle Lowry. He's a free agent after next season. DeRozan is a free agent after this season. And when you reach the point that they are, you have no guarantees that they're going to come back.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I started... Uh, ranking teams, you know, the, the top five and the bottom five were fairly easy to, to determine. It was really in you know, 12, 13 to 20, 21 that I struggled to come with a come up with an order because you're just you're judging teams on different criteria. So the Raptors are, you go know, on the top top half of the Eastern Conference, but they have DeRozan coming up in for, free agency. Lowry's, you know, a little bit past his prime, even though he's having another great year. He should have maybe three or four more years comfortable to this. You know, Jonas um, is on as a long-term deal already. It may be a piece or two short at this point of being a real title contender.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's probably about right that they have that, but they should have the kind of the, the tools to do it. I, I like the Damari Carroll contract. I think that'll work out reasonably well for them. They do have a pick coming from the Knicks this season, I believe. That's the well it's the Knicks and the it's the worst pick of the Knicks and the Nuggets from the Amar from the Andrea Bargnani trade, which is insane that that still is on the books.
1: Yeah, that one and then also they have a pick coming from the Clippers the year after that, via the Bucks.
0: Oh yeah, from the Grievous Vasquez heist. That's right. Right. Um and then the next team is one another one that I thought was, was interesting. And so Paul George is another one of those singular assets. He's a really good player. He signed for two seasons after this and then has a player option on a deal that will be a bargain just because all those kind of deals will be bargains. And I think what, what pushed them up on, on, on my list, and this is about where I would have had them, I never worked it all out, is that they did really well to get Miles Turner because Turner, while he's not... A kind of a, a foundational piece necessarily. He's the type of player that is really nice to have on a good team, especially because the position he plays can be hard to fill, especially with a young, talented guy.
1: Yeah, I, absolutely. He's um, you know, of the Paul words he was the player I noted as being being someone you'd want to have to build around. He matches the direction of the where the Pacers want to go, the way they want to play with with his, um, a big man who could shoot shoot jumpers for the shirts uh, of four and also play interior defense. So, uh, you know, comparing the Pacers with Paul George to the Keens, I'd say, you know, George and Cousins are, are on a similar level, however you rank them on uh, franchise players. But the fact that the Pacers have kind of a cleaner, cleaner books, they have the picks that, you know, bumps them up to to 19 versus where the Keens are.
0: And also the existing obligations that they have. It's actually something crazy you pointed out in the piece that I hadn't looked up in the last little bit. Of course, I, I use the Real GM database for picks a lot, but that the Pacers are the only team right now that have zero existing obligations in either direction.
1: I didn't was aware of that, of that either until I you know, researched the piece, and I I don't know what's more surprising that every team has at least one pick. Coming or going, or that the Pacers have, have no picks coming or going.
0: It is true that I can't. I know they have moved some in the past, just to kind of fulfill things, but it hasn't been very much. So in in a way, it makes sense, but it's not something you think about very often. Miami, I think you could make an argument that they with with the structure of this, they're the team that's the most interesting because the idea is that they. In this format, they functionally become a singular asset team because Chris Bosch is the guy. Well, and Justice Winslow is a nice player. But everything else is pretty nebulous, and since we're not taking into account location, they lose some of the benefit of their cap flexibility.
1: Exactly. You know, with location, Miami being so high on, on players' uh, wish lists and then, you know, the ability of Pat Riley to, to consistently get top players they would be much higher if you factored that in, but uh, yeah, with just Bosch Wade having a uncertain future, Tom Whiteside, um, he not having their his burger rights, and then the picks they had to give up to get Trott, and that really put them further down than you would probably think uh, when you're just you know taking a first look at them.
0: Yeah, I'm fascinated by the possibility. I've written a little bit about this for Real GM and for the Sporting News about how guys are going to look once we get into the new CBA and like, I'm not completely sure at this point that they're sold enough on Drogic that they'll keep him around. But I also am not sure that if they wanted to trade him, let's say over the summer, once the books change around, whether he will really get them something strong in return. I'm definitely not as much as they gave up to get him.
1: Yeah. I think nowhere close and he's, you know, his fit with the team has been been a little awkward at times. And, uh, yeah, it was an aggressive move. And, uh, you know, at the time, I really, I thought it was a good move. And then Bosch had his, his medical, his lung clots right thereafter. So we really weren't able to see what they could do last year. And I think this is a team that, you know, it's been, been kind of weird this year. Could be a, be a contender in the East, but, uh, you know, a lot of things have to go perfectly right for them. And, and even if they do have a, a good paralysis season, it's going to be hard for them to capitalized to, to bring everyone back.
0: Yeah, and it it's also a little bit complicated cuz Dragic, he's one of those guys it happens every once in a while where he got big a little bit later in his career and so some people might not know that he turns 30 at, at, during the playoffs this year. And so like he while he's not, you know, one of those he could end up aging well if he doesn't, you know, if he loses a step a little bit early, then you start to you start to get a little bit concerned about where they're going especially with all the other pieces, but at the same time we could be sitting here in September of 2016 with Miami in the top five of this list, depending on what happens this summer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, this is one of the things that I am most looking forward to is is doing this again next year and seeing which teams move up, substantially move down, and just kind of comparing year by year.
0: A team that probably is not going to move up precipitously unless they do really well in in the draft, I would guess, is Phoenix, Phoenix made a lot of moves. They 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 sold high on Drogic. They sold low on Isaiah Thomas, in my opinion. But they still do have Eric Bledsoe, who, despite being hurt, is an incredibly good player.
1: Yeah, he's, he he was having a great season before, before his meniscus. Um, and yeah, this Suns are a team that it was when I was doing this these, these rankings in you know early to mid December, it was just starting to spoil their issues, and then afterwards the Bledsoe being. Being out and then everything with Orange X future and Marquise Morris, it just became completely a dumpster fire. But um, I still think there's enough there. I, I think you know Brandon Knight. They would rather have uh, that Lakers pick than Brandon Knight at this point. But you um, know he still, you know they resigned him on a on a deal that will look reasonable in the new collective bargaining agreement. And, and Devin uh,
0: Booker helps them too.
1: Yeah, they have enough young guys who who should be good complimentary players and then picks coming back from the heat for Rocky Straight, that there's enough there to uh, to put them right there in the in F seventeen.
0: And and they I think their kind of spiritual analog in terms of the way that they've built it is Hennigan and the Magic. And so what the Magic do is they don't have an Eric Bledsoe, but they have a lot I think they have a lot more guys who have the potential to be rotation players starters and maybe not stars but when you have the sheer number of guys that they have you you have something truly interesting
1: yeah they're they're kind of uh similar and maybe even uh, i could compare the magic right now to where the rockets were kind of in the early part of morey's tenure when you had a lot of talented guys you're just looking for maybe looking to make a trade to get one of those top 10 top 15 players in the whole league you know they have quite a few decisions to make just on how the roster fits together and and then whether or not they're going to extend people.
0: And they've been able, at least so far, partially because Scott Skiles has kind of played the guys the way he has, is that I don't think that even though they've had these rotations and certain guys haven't played as much as, as we think they have, I don't think they've really hurt the value of any of them. You know, whoever they choose to move, I think they will have a market in the league, whether they would do it now, whether they want to combine it a little bit later. So, you know, I don't think a lot of their stuff makes sense now, but they have the pieces to eventually move those. The, the risk with them is doing what they what ended up happening with Maurice Harkless, which is that they they kept him for so long and they didn't want to play him and so they ended up selling incredibly low on him maybe for a justifiable reason, but they didn't they didn't take what they had in him and really convert it into anything that makes them a better team.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point that they, you know, despite having so many players there they've been able to either preserve their value or someone like 48 really uh, upgrade their value without compromising anything. But, um, yeah, just, you know, they have a lot of ways of getting better, but it's just they have a, uh, you know, a big job ahead of them in order to, to fit it all together.
0: And kind of the, the piece that I think fits kind of a triumvirate here is that, so the Bulls combine the kind of Bledsoe-level really good player in Jimmy Butler with – the Magic's combination of just guys who are good basketball players, but might not be, you know, might not be long term studs. Miritich has been a little bit disappointing, but he's still on an incredibly team friendly deal. McDermott's doing a lot better now. Tony Snell, Bobby Portis, like they have a lot of these guys. But what's so funny about them for me when you're thinking about this list is you can concoct an argument for the Bulls to be high without even mentioning the names Derek Rose, Pau Gasol and Yokim Noah, just because the other guys are really where the intrigue is right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you could, you know, if they wanted to take a take a step back with and go young, trade off Gasol and Noah at the deadline and build around Butler with those those younger guys or you could you know, or, you know, or they could keep the stats closed, what they've done.
0: For me, I think that there's a pretty clear dividing line between the Bulls as as good as they are and kind of the rest of these teams. And the Bucks I might have a little bit higher, but they work as a dividing line because they just have so many young assets.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh you start to get into a different type of team once you get to start with the Bucks. Way more upside and a lot more ways of getting better. And it just uh They've had a strange year. I mean, I don't think anyone was expecting them to take such a big step back this season. Especially you know, defensively. Maybe they, they started, yeah. Especially on the defensive side. I think they disrupted what kind of made them special by, by trade away at night and then adding Monroe and off Those are moves that, that made sense at the time. And you, especially in free agency, when you have a chance of landing one of the top couple of free agents on the market, you have to do that. But, um, they have more questions now than, than just kind of charting the course going forward.
0: Yeah, but their core is strong enough. Giannis, Jabari, Chris Middleton, even MCW, while I think that he's not probably a starter long-term, he's still a good basketball player on a team-friendly contract. You know, if he if he can be your sixth man, that's quite good. And Monroe's a net asset. So they're at a, a kind of a weird point where they they're like the magic in the sense that I don't think that their combination of players right now works for their short-term team, but their assets haven't really been tainted in the way that if they want to do it in terms of like, if you think about this as you phrased it in terms of a portfolio, they, the as a portfolio, they don't get hurt by it in the same way because you know, if somebody, if Greg Monroe was on the trade market, I feel like somebody would give up an asset for him.
1: Yeah. he would be very easy to trade. And I think the difference between the bucks is a magic with you know, with Giannis and Jabari and uh, Middleton, they have players that have you know, considerably more upside than than the Magic score.
0: And there's a, a kind of a fun juxtaposition with them and the Wizards because the Bucks have a lot of guys and maybe they don't fit together, and the Wizards have very few, but the very few they have are really are have already proven what the Bucks guys still have not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In, in a Wall, even when it came into the league, it was. He was an unfinished product, but you just, you could see how he would, he would make it work and make his teammates so much better. And, uh, and I think, you know, what he's done, especially on defense, is just um, been above and beyond what anyone was expecting. You know, legitimately, you know, he's a guy you can go around. Bradley Beals, you know, his recurring injuries are a concern right now, and then he's up for, for an extension with big money coming. And that would, you know, obviously make any team pause committing in the long term to him. But, um, I think, you know, with those two, that core, there's just a lot of ways they could build a front court around them.
0: They also have Gortat on a very team-friendly deal. He's making about $12.5 million a year after this year for three seasons. As long as he doesn't fall off a cliff, I think that'll look really nice for them. You know, that's another one of those asset test things. You know, if they wanted to move him, like, let's say, for whatever reason Al Horford wanted to come, a team would fall over themselves trying to get him at that price. Otto Porter's turning it on a little bit. He has another year on his rookie scale deal and then he'll get paid so that that timing works pretty well for them. So like I think the pieces there fit together pretty well and they, you know, they've missed on picks. If Ubre turns out nicely, that'll really help them too. But the the strength of John Wall and everything else I think puts them kind of puts them a little bit higher than you might think. And they are diametrically opposed to the team that you have at twelve that I probably would have a little bit higher because I love draft picks. And that's the Sixers. Because the Sixers are, are another one of those teams. They're kind of the anti-Miami in the sense that they're really hard to value, even though we can kind of understand it, just because it's so it's so distant because the team is horrendous.
1: Yeah, the Sixers were, uh, you know, they're impossible to judge on a ranking like this with, with, because they have just so many future assets. You know, they they were ones that I think received a lot of feedback saying, how do you have the Sixers as high as They should be at the bottom of the week because they're, you know, they struggle so badly right now. But, you know, all the picks that they're owed to them and then just the guys that are there already with, with Indeed and Okafor and Noel and then Sarge coming over, there's just so many ways the Sixers can become a great team. I think if, if you know, a GM has choice of any, any team's assets and make its mark on it, I think the Sixers would be probably even higher on, on this list. There's just so many ways... That this team could become the top contender.
0: And they're another team like the Magic and a few others where the pieces they currently have might not make a ton of sense together, but it's pretty obvious that this isn't going to be the final version of this team. Like, I think that whether or not the Embiid, Okafor, Noel situation produces one or two players that can actually play together other than Embiid with his current injury stuff, you know, Okafor and Noel both seem like they're NBA players. So it's not like you're sitting there watching them, like, you know, watching them wither away on the vine, like kind of like, like, like we talked about Mo Harkless. And the quality of their existing draft assets is ridiculous, and part of that is because they're not good. You know, this is a team that has the best chance of doing really well in the, in the draft because not only do they have their own pick, they have an outside chance at a pick swap with the Kings the next couple of years. They have the Lakers pick. And they have all these kind of other things. And so all they really need is for even let's say one of those to really work out. And they have no bad money on their books. I mean the worst contract that they have right now is Carl Landry and Landry's making like six million. That's not that bad.
1: And I think, you know, this is such uh, no matter what happens it's going to be indictment or coronation of what Hickey's done but they've already started to Kind of change course to a little bit, sign Elton Brand, and if there's not even if there's not a single kind of quote unquote Hinky move left to be made, if it's all kind of Jerry Colangelo type moves, and then if there's another GM that's eventually hired, I still think you can't say that the Hinky model was a success.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it's hard to it's hard to, in some ways to be to be critical because some of the things like. Okafor, I I believe I had him as the second best player in the draft, and you know he might not have worked out as perfectly as we hoped, but that wasn't because they did a bad job with it. That's just you know player. There is a high level of variance with any player. I think Sarich is a really fascinating piece for them. Robert Covington is another guy who, the the Hinky style of contract, I can understand why agents can be uncomfortable with it, especially for better players. KJ McDaniels obviously was, and we saw how that worked out, but. If you hit on one out of every ten of those guys, you have an asset for a long time that's really nice. Yeah, absolutely. You have the Pistons at 11. I think of the Pistons as kind of the rich man's wizards in this kind of a structure, because Drummond is, while an inferior asset, the other guys they have, I think, are a lot better. Reggie Jackson, Catavius Caldwell-Pope, Stanley Johnson, Marcus Morris, even Ersan Ilyasova, who they got for nothing, who probably is going to be kept next year because $8 million is not that bad for a player of his caliber.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you know, The Pistons have a much better supporting cast around Drummond compared to the Wizards. And Drummond is, you know, his greatest wall is. Drummond is a more unique player in terms of what he could do in the paint. And then their, their move last year to get Reggie Jackson and resign him, I think, has really uh, proven to be be much better than what anyone was, was thinking at the time
0: and they did probably overpay him well they not probably they did overpay him relative to the leverage because there just weren't teams to offer him the money but he's still in all likelihood worth it and so you while you can be critical of the of the cost at the same point when you're thinking about it as it as an asset in this context he's still a, a significant positive because of how good he's been so a team that I actually struggled with when I was thinking about this that you have probably a little bit higher than I do, though I understand why, is Boston. And the Boston question is actually kind of paralleling the Hawks, except that they have the pick. They have the Brooklyn picks, which is that a lot of their existing players are going to become less of an asset soon. But the Nets picks they have are insane.
1: Yeah, it's, it was really about the future picks for the Celtics. They're a really good team now. I don't think anyone takes them too seriously, but I'm not in love with their core. You know, the players are there now. I think I have them lower than, if it's just judging off players, I have them quite a bit lower than probably even the average person would have them. But, I mean, the future picks that they have is just, it's, it's really extraordinary what they have coming to them.
0: Yeah, and so they have, it's three picks from the Nets, right? That's, they have, it's the next three years?
1: It's, uh, two picks outright, and then
0: one pick swap. It's a swap in the middle year, which would be 2017. Right. And, and, yeah, and they, and they also they don't have another team that does not have bad contracts on their books. You know, David Lee is probably getting paid too much money, but he's an expiring. Those don't matter. I don't consider that. Isaiah Thomas is a wonderful contract. I think Jay Crowder is a good contract. And so they basically, to me, they bring everything to the table but a really strong group of current players in terms of future assets.
1: Yeah, and we're not, you know, we can't really judge on, on this exercise, the GM, but, you know, we've seen Danny Ainge do the same thing back in, in 07 with, with Garnett and Ray Allen, where he takes, you know, a whole roster of, of kind of similarly uh, aged talent, similar uh, levels of talent and turn them into two picture hall-famers. And I think that's going to be, you know, it, there's a lot of ways you could, you could do this, you know, if you could just stay the course with younger players to the draft or or convert those into someone like Demarcus Cousins. There's a lot of ways the Celtics can become a great, great title contender.
0: I would kind of say to a point that the Jazz are the Celtics in a more realized state. Like if if they can hit on somebody and make it on, on one of their picks and works out as well as Rudy Gobert or Gordon Hayward or Derek Favors, they'd be really happy with that. And... Utah is a little bit more precarious than some people think because the idea that some of their guys specifically favors and Hayward are free agents a little bit sooner just because they sh- sign contracts that will expire. But the sheer number of other interesting players they have, for me, makes them a, a serious contender for being high on this list.
1: Yeah, and, and they also have picks coming uh, as well from both the Thunder and Warriors, which probably be you know lower first-round picks, but they're picks nonetheless. Yeah, I think uh, you made a great point, you know, with Babers and Hayward with being a little bit older than the rest of their core and also coming up for free agency sooner. It's just a matter of whether or not, you know, the timing is going to work out for them to kind of reach the peak.
0: Well, yeah, and you also have to think about you think about their group that's helping them succeed now, but also they have Alec Burks, who's now out with an injury. They have Dante Exum, who I had as the number one player in last year's draft class, who's out with a torn ACL, assuming he can come back from that at full strength. I think he'll be 21 next year. And as you said, they have these these outstanding picks, and they don't have bad contracts on their book. They're another one of those teams. So I, I think that's why, to me, they're in a different class than the Celtics, is because they combine... All of these things and what the Celtics have on the Jazz, you know, a really, really good coach. I think Quinn Snyder is a little bit, you know, Quinn Snyder is, hasn't done what Stevens has done. And Boston, theoretically, I think their cap space would be more valuable. It's in a city that's more popular for free agents. Those things don't matter in terms of the way that you did this analysis. Could you would you say that New Orleans is one of the more divisive ones? I think I, I they're another one of those that I think you could justify putting them in a series of different places on this list.
1: Yeah, they were they were definitely a team that stood out to, uh, to me as being tricky to properly place. I think mean, most people would take Anthony Davis first Raw if you had your yeah you your pick right now. But um, the the way I looked at it was would either any of the teams ahead of them trade their best two players for Anthony Davis straight up? And I that's not something I I could have talked myself into as one as a GM of if any of the teams above them.
0: And it's, it's also crazy because not only do they have a kind of a weaker surrounding talent, let's say, than Washington. So the, the, idea, the argument for putting them over Washington is that Davis is a much better player and future asset than John Wall, which I completely agree with. But what's amazing about them is that they have this crazy combination of guys who are a little bit disappointing and lack of team control on their best players. And too much team control on the players who aren't their best players. So it's kind of like the idea of just—I'm not saying it's Del Demps's fault, but the idea of kind of having the being in the wrong place with everyone else at the wrong time.
1: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right on that. I mean, I think uh, what they've done with the center position, out the amount of money they they committed to it in off season was was pretty pretty ill advised. And then you know, Drew Holiday, Tyreek Evans, Ryan Anderson—they're all good pieces, but you know maybe a little bit step below what you what even a player of like Anthony Davis caliber would need, and they're also so a prone where they they can never really kind of be their full version of themselves.
0: Yeah, and this is another team that has the issue now that Anthony Davis is signed that has very little team control comparatively. They don't. I don't think they have a single player on a rookie scale contract. Well, I mean they technically have Davis now, but his his next contract is not rookie scale, and. That's terrifying for a team because then that's the reason for that is because they've given up draft picks and a lot of their other moves to get Drew, to get Oshik and everything else. And so they have this single guy who is absolutely incredible, but it how much can you do around him? It, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, they're, they're in a, a, a really complicated spot.
1: Yeah, they're really, really in a complicated spot. And, uh, you know, if they continue to struggle this season and get a maybe a top five pick, that may be the bailout they need in order for Davis, you know, to add a piece alongside Davis to become, you know, the type of title contender we were expecting last year when they were making their run to the playoffs.
0: And so the team you have at seven, I think, is, is another it's another one of those where it's interesting that they're next to each other, and that's Minnesota. So Minnesota has, I would argue, probably the second best Asset in the long term. I think Carl Anthony Towns. You know, it's between Towns and then some of the best current players like Curry. The difference is that you have Towns for eight years and you have Curry for for a little over two. And what makes what makes them so fun is they have Towns and Wiggins. They also have most of their own picks. They have some weird obligations to what will probably become second rounders. But they also have they have a little bit of weird money on their books and. They're, you know, Pekovic, I think, is a little bit of a concern. So, like, how did you reconcile everything with them?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, they're, they're a team that, you know, when, once you get to six, these are teams that are going to be in the playoffs and title contenders. The Wolves have probably probably won't be in the playoffs next year even. But, uh, you know, I have – I just don't see a scenario where you would trade Towns and, and Wiggins for, for Anthony Davis. I, you know, I, I agree with you that Towns has probably been. Number two ranked asset at this point when thinking long term, and just the combination of of him with Wiggins and then Ricky Rubio, that you would there's more logical way of them getting to be a title contender than than the Pelicans.
0: And they also have guys, rotation players for cheap like Shabazz Muhammad, Zach Levine, who are really on team friendly contracts. So yeah, they have a little bit more money than you'd like in Kevin in Kevin Garnett and Kevin Martin and Peck but they already have some of the pieces that New Orleans is going to have to struggle to find.
1: Yeah, that's that's absolutely right.
0: And Houston is another team that is in a a distinct place from everybody else kind of around them on the list because they have James Harden, who last year was the pretty clear-cut to me number two MVP candidate. You could argue him number one. I I ended up not doing that, but you could. But everything else on on their team is just hard to evaluate right now, even a guy like Clint Capella, who I've been a member of his fan club for a long time, you know, Clint Capella, Dwight Howard, Terrence Jones, like, all these guys are really hard to figure out.
1: Yeah, it's it's going to be a, a strange few you know heading to the deadline in a few months for the Rockets, because they were, you know, they got to the Western Conference Finals last year with James Harden being, you know, a legit MP, MVP type player, and then they, they made the title off trade, you kind of expected them to be even better this year that they've you know they've been pretty bad you know compared to expectations and then Dwight's you know going to be a free agent uh, I think Jim Jones is restricted their roster could look quite a bit different you know in July than it does right now but there's enough there for a GM to work with to get better I think I think most of their players are are tradable assets there's a there's a way for them to kind of shuffle the deck and and get back to where they were.
0: And they also have, like Minnesota, but more proven, they have a guy in Patrick Beverly who's on a really team-friendly contract again. It seems like he's always on a team-friendly contract. I think KJ McDaniels will eventually be, you know, he's he's more of like a tenth guy, but if you can have a tenth guy at 2 three million for the next couple of years, that's going to be nice. And, you know, Capella, you think about it, you know, maybe he's not a long-term starter, but if you can have a guy who's doing what he's doing on a rookie-scale deal, that's a really nice piece. That a lot of the teams we just talked about would love to have, even just as a backup.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's you know another depth piece that the Rockets have added, and it seems like they're always getting those types of players. You
0: have the Clippers at five, and I I'm assuming that's based on the star power that this team has. I mean, their top four is as good as almost anyone.
1: Yeah, it's really been the end of their bench, kind of the, the rotation, end of the rotation. That's that's slowed down. You know the the superstars, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. I think you know if we would have seen DeAndre Jordan sign with with Dallas, the, the Clippers would obviously be quite a bit lower, but still still really high. Even though this season would have been been a lost one, just because they wouldn't have had enough legit NBA talent to compete. But I mean, Blake Griffin, if you're starting a franchise from scratch, is probably is easily a top 10 player selected. And then uh, Chris Paul probably has more more years behind him than than years remaining and uh you know he, he could be a guy that they they look to trade if it you know if they continue to be be not quite as good as, as the top of the western conference
0: well yeah and i just i just wrote on that what concerns me a little bit about the clippers is just that a lot of their best players are aren't under team control for a long time paul and griffin can both be free agents after next season in 2017 but, you know, when you're have when you a team that is in the mix as one of the top five teams in the league, I can understand the desire to put them up here. And, you know, their other their assets aren't that great. But, again, this isn't a team that has bad money on the books. They just don't have enough flexibility to put good money on their books in the near term. Would you have, at the beginning... So let's say instead of doing this in December January, if we had done this, or if you had done this, in, let's say, October... Do you think that the Spurs would have been in your top five?
1: I think they would have. I, I mean, I was pretty high on Kawhi before this season. I mean, I was even looking at MVP odds before the season started, and I think they were like 35-1. to 1, I thought that was, you know, pr- a pretty good value play for where he was going. Uh, but, you know, I mean, a David exceeded expectations so, so far and above, and Kawhi offensively has become so much better. But um, I think that's what's interesting about doing this exercise – in December versus, you know, in July after after the offseason, after the draft, is we have enough of a sample size of the season to see how those new players will adapt to their new their new system, but without the whole season ahead of us where we kind of get more results running into the playoffs and, you know, the Warriors beat the, the Rockets so they're better. So it's I think it's a good time of the year to take a more macro look at, at the landscape of the NBA.
0: I do too, and I, the Spurs. Kawhi, of course, has, has really helped them. Lamarcus being pretty much Lamarcus at this stage is a positive, and also, they're they have nice. They have an, a couple of nice guys, and um, Patty Mills is still signed for next year. Boris Diaw, who is doing so well at this stage in his career, still has a couple more years. And yeah, they do have Tim Duncan and Monty Ginobili, who it feels like each year might be their last NBA season. But they have enough depth, and they have enough. Even a guy like Boban who has team control after this season. You know, I I think that their overall combination is interesting and Kawhi as a as an MVP candidate right now really elevates them to me and I like like why they would be over the Clippers right now, despite their assets becoming, you know, technically at some point zeros, unless Tim Duncan just plays forever, which I hope he does. Because Kawhi I think is gonna be at a level above Blake Griffin for the next couple years. And he's under a under a more team friendly contract.
1: Yeah, I mean you're right on that. I mean I think you would, if you just took Kawhi and Lamarcus versus Quirkton and Paul, you would you would take Kawhi over Kawhi and Lamarcus over those two right now. And then just on top of that, you have to the the FRS, the Spurs. Despite the fact that we don't know how much longer uh, you know Duncan and Ginobili and in really even Parker have how many more years they have left, they still have you still to have a really good starting point with just those two players.
0: And you can't get much better in terms of a starting point than Oklahoma City. You have them at three. I If I did one of these, I think I'd just collapse into a pool of my own tiers trying to place them in this because they have probably the best top three in the league, almost definitely the best top three in the league, but all three of those guys become free agents in the next 18 months.
1: Yeah, that was really the tricky thing with them is, is is their free agency. Um, You know, any any of those three guys, guys—Durant, Westbrook, or will be able to walk within the next year and a half. So they're as good as anyone, but, you know, this year they've been a step below the Spurs and the Warriors, and then they don't have the uh, the long-term certainty. I think, if any, you know, similar to looking at the Sixers, if you want to take a long-term view, if you want a short-term view, you would have a tough time passing up on this foundation. There's so many ways that they could get better. And uh, you could see them just adding even the minor piece and going on a run of maybe three of the next five titles if they win.
0: Yeah, and I think it makes sense to have them below the Cavs because while well, the Cavs' top three, I would say, is inferior to Oklahoma City's. The Cavs have a lot more team control in a way that matters, and LeBron is a really complicated guy for this because while technically he's not under contract, at the same point I would consider him an asset for Cleveland because he's not leaving.
1: Yeah, you kind of cast his grandfather in the fact that LeBron is not going to leave Cleveland into this ranking. He's he's on a long term contract for all intents purposes, even though it's not technically one. Yeah, I agree. You would you would put Durant Westbrook and Ibaka pretty probably pretty clearly above. Uh, LeBron, Kyrie, and Love, but I think you have a better supporting cast for Cleveland than you do with Oklahoma City, and then on top of that, you do have the, the long-term control.
0: And Cleveland has commitments to guys uh, in terms of the surrounding pieces, even without Mozgov, and Mozgov, of course, would we, I think, expect to go back there that Oklahoma City has struggled to find for years. Amon Shumpert would be a wonderful fit on Oklahoma City, and not only do the Cavs have him, but they have him on a pretty reasonable contract. You know, the overall aggregation of their contracts is expensive, but they're good, and their owners, like, we're not talking about ownership, but, like, if you already have it in place, it's a lot more manageable than, like, even what the, let's say, where the Clippers are where the Clippers don't have those guys. It's better to have them and be paying them a little bit too much money collectively than to not have them at all.
1: Yeah, the Cavs have done a great job creating cap space to sign a bond in, in 2014 and quickly, quickly uh, elevating their cap in order to have the steep of the team. I mean, they've it's been really quite a few clever cap moves in order to, to make that happen.
0: And the way that they did it is so remarkably different than the way the number one team, who I think almost everybody who'd be doing this would have number one is the Golden State Warriors, because the Warriors drafted almost every single one of their key players.
1: Yeah, it was it was they a team built from built through the draft, built without you know, top three, top five picks, but they uh, you know, with and then with the exception of trades they made for get the signing trade for Igatala. That at the time, you know, there's, they gave assets, you know, to the Jazz, first-round picks that that looked much better at the t- looked like they would be much better at the time than how it's proven out to be. And the team control with Curry on the best contract in the NBA, Clay Thompson on a new contract, Draymond Green on a new contract, and then the restricted free agencies in the off for Izzy and Barnes. They could keep their core together indefinitely.
0: And yeah, I mean, they do have the downside that Curry could technically leave in 2017, but they benefited, I would say, more than any NBA team with the timing of when their players became free agents because Klay Thompson got maxed out, but the Klay Thompson max is not going to... Well, he got close to max. There's is technically a nuance there, and somebody will tweet me about it. But Klay Thompson, the money he's making and the money even Draymond Green is making, regardless of how well they're doing this year that's going to look a lot better in a couple of years. And so they have, they have those guys on those contracts and the flexibility because of that kind of combination allows them to actually add to their group without sacrificing much. And that's what I think puts them even at number one is that like, this is a team I wrote about it for the sporting news, but like I've written about it for years now. I wrote about it for real GM in 2013 is that they could get a lot better without sacrificing, which is something Cleveland can't do, which is something the Spurs can't do. And that's what makes them insane in this kind of a, a calibration.
1: Yeah, they they really did get lucky with that. Uh, with Curry coming off those ankle issues, signing a below-market extension, which was, at the time was probably a fair deal. He was nowhere near the player he is now and was at injury risk. And then just the timeline of those players staggering. You know, they were able to add some piece like Sean Livingston. They were... They've been able to make moves while growing the core that um, that you know a lot of people didn't really see coming, and it's made them you know the kind of all around perfectly balanced team that they are today.
0: Uh, anything else you want to want to convey to listeners about the experience of doing this or anything like that?
1: I don't know it's it's fun to look at, and um, and it's been nice to see the feedback, and um, kind of looking forward to seeing how this this list evolves over time.
0: Yeah, because it'll it'll definitely change. It would be fun to do not even like to do a full workout, but just to think about it after the deadline to see if the deadline really moves some teams. Because it might. I don't think it will, but it might.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, the, the trade deadline will move teams, and then obviously the draft would be pretty significantly changed after that. Yeah, it's 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 nice to take a step back in the middle middle of the season and and look at things from this angle and uh, try not to have any biases towards the towards the teams
0: well thanks so much for coming on yeah thanks again thanks again to christopher reina for taking the time you can see his fingerprints on really everything content wise at real gm and you can also follow him on twitter at cr underscore reina that's cr underscore r e i n a and since he decided to come on i thought it would be an appropriate time to tell the story of how kind of how i started with real gm and so I started writing at, because some of my friends from college had started a blog and I thought it would be a good stress release for me in law school. I was a little bit older, so I was, I was in law school when they were finishing up college, and it really was, and after about a year of getting better and honing my work, I would gotten some stuff that got picked up by some some outlets like J. E. Skeets when he was running Ball Don't Lie, which was really big for for me. And Kevin Ardevets actually did something on vegan fish tacos, the site I ran with the other two guys in True Hoop, in the, in kind of the not the nascent days of True Hoop, but around then. And so about a year into that, I started sending my my work to people who I read, and one of those places was Real GM. I actually was active on the forums. This was so this was probably around 2000, late 2008. And I got ended up, there was a piece I had written something similar on. I sent it to the author. Cause I didn't really know at that point, I didn't really know anybody who worked at places like that. I just, you know, I the contact information I had and it turned out that, it, that it was Chris and he, was one of the people, he was the guy who run content there and he liked my work and he said would you like to write for us? And I said yes, absolutely. And Real jam was one of the places I read a lot and so I started with them then. I started doing draft work, which is hilarious considering how little I watch college now, but back then I knew those guys really well. I was in school at the same time. I'd watched them a ridiculous amount. And then in 2009, so a little bit after I had started with them, he asked, you know, kind of like where I lived, because I might be able to get a credential. I lived in Bay Area, as I as I do now, and so I ended up getting credentialed for the Warriors. I was actually the—probably, it's it's a little bit on classification, but the first internet-only person credentialed for them, and so that was in 09. That was Curry's first year, Don Nelson's last year, which was a pretty amazing year to cover that team. And you know I've stayed with Real GM ever since. I've they, one of the things that I give Chris in particular. I talked about this in the hundredth episode. I didn't name names, but now that he's been on the podcast, I can I can say it. Chris is hugely supportive of me growing, kind of not growing beyond Real GM, but adding other things in addition to it. Both. The things that are still going like the Sporting News and Warriors World and Middle Level Exceptional, which was really amazing for me because that was something that in a way directly conflicted with Real GM and that they were so encouraging that in the Sporting News where I'm a CBA writer, was great. And I think that shows why Real GM is such an amazing place to work and to write for. And also Chris was, as far as I know it, he's probably the single most integral person in Real GM radio happening, being brought back because technically it did exist before me. And I, I appreciate that. I love doing this. It is it's become one of my favorite things of, of any week. And he was also he was involved in, in, in Dunk Don. I mean, I think that without his involvement I think it would it would have been in a very different form and I'm I'm so thankful that, you know, that Real GM kind of took that mantle and ended up, you know, playing it playing a really important role in in where that has gone as well. So Chris is one of those people who is behind the scenes a lot. Uh, I guess that's because he prefers it because he's he's a very talented writer. His piece uh, I was great. I, I think you know I didn't have him on as a favor. I had him on because I thought it was a piece that was worth talking about, and that's part of what makes Real GM the type of place that I've I've loved being for all this time. I mean, it's been almost seven years now, and one of the great things about being at a place like that and something that I encourage writers, you know, and I've tried to facilitate in everything that I'm doing, including the CBA Encyclopedia for Real GM, is the idea of being su- being supportive, understanding that we are all in this together and understanding that elevating elevating everyone else is elevating you as well. And because the better they do, the better it looks for you. And of course, that you only do that if the person is worth it. And I hope that I am in that way. And I try to use their support as motivation to do my absolute best because when I when I don't do my best that reflects on them whether it's for the sporting news or anyone else so that is a a piece of advice that I give to anybody and if you want to follow him on Twitter he's a very good follow on Twitter of course as I said CR underscore Reyna and he's heavily involved in the Real Gym Twitter account as you know which is a very very different thing and the undertaking of things like the wiretap that's a lot of him as well though of course there are other people involved in that as I pretty much always say, if you have any feedback, positive, negative, whatever, you can hit me up on Twitter at Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. Or you can email me, Danny LaRue, MBA at gmail.com. I read everything. I respond to as much as I can. And, you know, and if it's something that doesn't really require a response, I, I might not. Though I do, i I'd appreciate it if you say nice things, but if it's constructive or even sometimes if it's not constructive, I, I do appreciate that as well because that's what makes this better. And it sometimes people are hesitant to you know to say negative things, but if if you think there's something that's there, do it. And the other thing for me is um, I think that it's really nice to have. I've just started a Facebook page pretty recently, and what's great about that is it's a way to kind of put everything together. So that is also Danny Larue MBA. So it has my pieces, my podcasts, and really everything else on in a single page. And then also I do a weekly email digest, which is, you know, pieces, podcasts, and then I try to put in other stuff like things that I'm working on. Uh, if I've done interviews that, you know, like for a radio station or something like that, I, if, if I can get the audio, I put that up there as well. And the link to that is often in my Twitter handle. It's also on Facebook pretty much each time I, I made it a quick kind of verify thing because I didn't want people to just pump other people on the list. So it takes a little bit to do it, but not too bad. So thanks again to Chris for everything he's done and Real GM for everything they've done. And thank you all for listening. I mean, that is really what makes this work. Uh, I also did the podcast with Kevin Pelton earlier this week, which I hope you listen to. Have some great stuff coming up in the future. And if you want to write a review on iTunes, I really do appreciate it. That is something that if we, you know, really kick in and advertisers on this, that's something that really helps. And you know, it's it's something that connects other people with the podcast. So you know, if people hear nice things about it, and maybe they'll listen to it. And who knows? Maybe they'll hate it and they'll resent your anonymous review for it. But I think that's worth the risk. And so if you like it, share it with other people and do that. That's something that I work on myself. If I read a good piece, you'll see it on my Twitter profile. You won't really see it on Facebook. I've decided not to do that for right now. I might change my mind on that. But anyway. I've been rambling far too long at this point. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active.